Welcome back to another episode of You Have My Interest. I'm Evelyn, and together with my colleague Maddie, we're mortgage brokers here to help you make smart moves with your money by giving you tips, tricks, and tools to help navigate your wealth journey. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we are recording and you are listening today. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to the first Q&A episode of You Have My Interest. So today our Q&A is with Evelyn Clark from Evelyn, Miss co-host. I am going to be throwing some curly questions at her. They're a little bit saucy and see how she handles them. So are you ready, Ev? I'm ready. Throw it all at me. All right. So the first one, it's a lighthearted one, but how much does a mortgage broker cost? Oh, okay, cool. So effectively, mortgage brokers have the option to charge a client fees if they want to, if that's part of their process. Generally, though, a mortgage broker will cost you absolutely nothing because they get paid via the bank through commissions. So we get an upfront and a trailing commission. Usually the upfront commission is is a lot higher than the trailing. um, And it's anywhere from typically point five percent through to about 0.7 percent of the loan amount itself so it is a percentage based of the loan amount the trailing commission is a lot lower it's usually about 0.2 percent of the ongoing balance of the loan on a monthly basis or something along those lines um i love this question because i don't even know as much about how we get paid as i should because i don't really like i don't care as much if you know what i mean (laughs) clients are often like and then does that dictate who you go with from a mortgage perspective like who you um basically advise us to choose and I couldn't even tell you on our panel of lenders which lender pays us the most money but it does vary ever so slightly. Now the important thing to note though is that the commission doesn't add to the cost of your loan so it is paid out of the bank's profits and it's a commission effectively for bringing them a client and it's not paid until you settle successfully on a transaction so even if you work with a broker right up until that point in time and you don't proceed with a loan it is not charged it's not charged to you and it's obviously not paid to the broker for the work so there you go. That's how we get paid. Awesome. So can a client pay you up front and not have ongoing commissioning? Because technically no. you're saying that, the, yeah, well, you wouldn't, no, right? Because wouldn't it's not affecting your loan in any way. Correct. On that though, with commissions, how do clawbacks work if a, someone doesn't know what they are and how that works for us in our industry? Sure. So there's a period of time where once a loan has been settled, if a client pays out their loan or refinances or sells a property, basically, if that mortgage is discharged within a certain period of time, and it's usually within a two-year window or up to a two-year window, I should say, um, a broker will actually receive a clawback where they are uh, stripped of some of the income that they've earned from that upfront commission. Um, so it's generally a scaled clawback system where up to the first 12 months, it's usually a full like 100%. And then post there, post that period of time, it might be 75% or 50%, just depending on how the bank structures it. So ideally, your broker, and I just want to preface that and say, the whole reason that clawbacks were introduced is so that that broker maintains their relationship with you and continues to service you past settlement. Mm, exactly. And a lot of people, I think, would go, oh, well, maybe you'll just lock me into a bank just so you keep your commission. Well, that's never the case at all. If you want to refinance because you're not having a good, a good, um, what's the word? Experience. If you're not having a good experience with a bank, 
we're not going to force you to stay at a bank. And that's something that I feel like is such a myth that people do. We always have to act in your best interest. We can't just act in the interest of ourselves and go, oh, our commission's more important. Also remember if we refinance you, we get the commission with the next bank as well. So it's not really a loss on our behalf technically. Yeah, I mean, Um, I've refinanced plenty of clients within the commission period, like the clawback period, because it was the best thing for the client to do. Um, exactly. Even if we got a hundred percent clawback and then received a hundred percent commission, and we effectively earned nothing for the, you know the hours of work that we put in there, at the end of the day, it was the best interest of the customer. And we now, in recent years, have a legal obligation, and we are audited on this, to act in the client's best interest. Which comes into a play on words on our podcast Ha-ha. title. <laughs> <laughs> Ha-ha, we have your best interest. So here's a little bit of a curlier question for you because no one, not every broker is as self-righteous, I guess, uh-huh. as we are. Okay. So is it true some dodgy brokers will advise a client to pay less than a 20% deposit and add lender's mortgage insurance to the loan, even if they do have 20% of a deposit? just so they can lock you in and receive continuous trailing until you get under the 80% loan-to-value ratio. Wow. (laughs) Mm, Interesting one, huh? Is it true? Um, If that person didn't have a moral bone in their bodies, perhaps. (laughs) I don't know. I would never do that. But um, I know. It sounds horrible, doesn't it? Actually, I will say on that, the interesting thing about that is there was another – a rule I guess brought out in relation to how brokers get paid when there's offset accounts involved against a product to stop that from Mm. happening and that is brokers are now paid on something called net of offset so if we take out a $500,000 loan for a client but they have $200,000 sitting in their offset account against that facility we get paid on the $300,000 loan and that's to stop basically people increasing cash out balances or just applying for loans facilitated by a mortgage broker that they're getting paid on that's not in the best interest of the client again coming back to that best interest duty so I mean I I don't think that would just be silly for a broker to do that because the client's getting charged more interest, the client's paying more LMI, um, it's effectively not as good a product uh, for the client and yeah, I mean you could be taken to AFCA for that. Exactly. And as you just said, we won't get a commission on that, that on the percentage net of, offset of anyway. money. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So it avoids that anyway. So when it comes to refinancing, then does a client still have to pay you even if you can't find a cheaper deal for them Ooh, okay. with a different bank? That's a really good question. So client comes to us. They want to refinance. Um, we go through and do a full review of the lending options and nothing comes back better than what they had. Or before we do that, we would always reprice with the existing bank anyway to see mm. what that comes in as compared to the market. Um, if we couldn't get a better price, no, they don't have to pay us because we haven't lodged a loan application anywhere. So you wouldn't have to pay. In saying that though, if the broker charged you an upfront fee for the facilitation of their advice and their um, you know, to cover their hours of work or if it was like an engagement fee, you'd have to pay that mm. prior to starting to do any work with the broker anyway. Um, our business doesn't charge any fees unless it's for self-managed super fund or complex transactions potentially in commercial space um, or where a fee may be warranted if a client has a really difficult scenario and we literally have two days to settle. Um, but apart from that, we don't charge any upfront fees. So the client would have no obligation to pay anything. 
Talking about engaging a broker, I'm going to chuck you a question over that. How would you engage a broker and how do you choose one? What would be the telltale signs you look out for for a good broker? Mm. I think above anything else, you need to be comfortable with your broker and you need to have a good relationship with your broker because at the end of the day, you are sharing very specific and personal financial information with them. So number one, you need to trust your broker. And if that's not there, then you're not going to have a good experience from the start and you're not going to feel like they have your back. So above anything, you need to have that relationship. That would be my number one piece of advice. If we're looking more specifically as to, you know, what constitutes a good broker, um, I think, you know, you could ask if you're working with a financial advisor or if you're working with a buyer's advocate, they could have uh, service providers that they recommend, that they've dealt with, that they know are really communicative or they give good advice and good structuring or they they get it they understand what they're doing and what might be more suitable to you so there's all of those factors that come into play as well in terms of um you know ask people who they've used and why they thought that that was a good broker but i think it is important to also identify why that broker might be the best broker for you in terms of what you're looking to achieve so we i think we work really well with investor clients and the reason is we understand investment savvy structuring and lending, mm. which not all brokers will understand. Um, and we have sort of that more uh, business perspective on finance. So that's something that's really important if you are looking at building out an investment property portfolio, that you're not limiting your future goals by setting up a facility that doesn't work towards the long-term goals. So um, it's just about identifying, is that broker going to be suitable for your actual goals and objectives as well as do you get along with them are they experienced and all those types of things they're probably the questions that I would consider also even just reflecting on what questions they ask you as a client are they asking you what your future goals are are they asking you what you're wanting to achieve because I had a lot of brokers that didn't even ask me that question they're Mm. just like how much do you want to borrow and how much do you have in savings and that's pretty much it yeah so making sure that they're actually trying to engage and assess you as a person not just as a client and really understanding the story behind who you are I think that's a really big one too and work out what you want from your transaction do you just want the fastest possible loan approval because that's not going to be every broker either so Mm. yeah I guess identifying what your expectations are what the broker's expectations are and are they aligned what is the earliest that you should engage a broker then on the topic of that Ooh, good question uh it varies I guess depending on clients as well but One way I would answer that question is the right time to engage the broker is when you have a really clear understanding as to what your goals are and you're ready to start working towards those. The reason I say that is because if you're calling a broker and saying, I want to buy property, but I don't really know where or what or how much or what I want to do with that property or why I want to buy it or what it's going to achieve for me um, and how it's going to get me to my overall goal or even what that overall goal is, the broker is going to be like, oh, that's cool, but how can I give you advice if I don't know where it's leading to? So I think you need to have really sort of nailed down into, I want to buy a first home for, it doesn't have to be a specific amount or anything like that, but I want to buy a first home um, in terms of a property that either I'm going to live in for 10 years and I know for me that that's probably a 800 to a million dollar property in these kind of areas. I've got my deposit saved. Don't know if I've quite got enough. Don't know if I can quite afford it from a borrowing capacity perspective, but I know what I want to do. Um, Mm. Or it could be a scenario of 
I want to invest in property because overall, my goal is to build a property portfolio that's achieving capital growth and I'm going to rent vest. So I don't really care where it is, but I know I'm ready. I've got some money in the bank. I need a bit of help on where to buy, what to buy, but I'm ready to go ahead in terms of starting that process. To me, that's the mindset around when you engage a broker, because now I can have a really, really detailed conversation with you that's specific to those goals and answering those and also now aligning products to what it is that you want to achieve. Or if we're not quite at the product and like policy side of things yet, I can articulate for you okay, cool. Well, you've just given me a really great understanding as to what your goal is. I can tell you that you're probably going to need to have this much money in the bank. And from a very, very basic level overview of what you told me from an income and expense kind of perspective, you could probably roughly borrow this. So that's going to get you on the right track. Awesome. And now that if you have purchased your property and you're wanting to refinance, Say that you're you're on a fixed rate and your fixed rate's expiring. How early should you be engaging your broker or letting them know it's expiring? Should they be engaging you and going, mm. hey, by the way, your fixed rate's expiring? Yep. <laughs> Which way should it go? I feel like for most brokers, it would be like you'd have to reach out to them. But I would say it'd be different for you. Uh, I mean, we touch base with our clients probably, well, I don't know, three times a year maybe on average, specifically about mm-hmm. their loan, not just to say, hey, how are you? Um, so... Ideally, your broker should be coming to you prior to your fixed rate is expiring. In saying that though, a lot of clients get notification from a bank three months before their fixed rate expires that it's going to be expiring. I actually think that's too early to start to speak to a broker because the refinance process, particularly when you're an existing client, happens so much quicker than that in terms of us getting an application approved and that sort of thing. And we can't reprice your existing loan with that existing bank until you're less than 30 days out from expiry to roll off Mm. on that rate. So I think uh, I wouldn't leave it less than a month. Definitely not. So maybe six weeks. Yeah, maybe six weeks out is probably about the time that if you haven't heard from your broker, you want to say, hey, our fixed rate's coming off in six weeks. Can you start to assess some refinance opportunities for us or uh, reprice our current loan once it rolls off fixed and see what that looks like? Mm, Love that. All right. I'm going to end with another curly question because I think it's a really interesting one. Is there any reason why certain low-risk borrowers shouldn't just go with providers like TikTok or Athena if the comparison rate and the features suit them, so someone that's just a basic PAYG, no overtime, no commission, no bonus, has a deposit, really, really good on and clear on their goals, yep. what would be the difference? That is a really, really good question. Uh, oh, a few things. Um, number one, if you're a super low risk borrower and there should be no reason why you're not approved or anything like that, I think it comes down to do you want the relationship with the broker or are you happy just to manage it yourself anyway? So, you know, a lot of people manage their own properties themselves in terms of investment properties and things because mm. they don't want to go through the middleman of a property manager. It's not necessarily to save costs always. However, if you do have a really low loan to value ratio, you've got standard bricks and mortar security. So a standard home in a residential zoning, um, no issues there in terms of loan, uh, like the actual Um, zoning or property itself in terms of it not being acceptable by a bank. Uh, You've got standard PAYG income. You've been in your job for, you know, 12 months to potentially 12 years uh, and you've got no ongoing liabilities other than the home loan that you're refinancing. If that Athena or TikTok product is going to give you the best product for you and you just want minimal features and pay that down as fast as possible and the interest rate's half a percent better than anyone else, 
then I don't see why that's an issue. Like if at the end of the day, you've done all that research and you've identified that that is the best option, then go for it. What I would say Mm. is when you have these new neobanks and fintech providers like the Athenas and TikTok loans pop up, generally they do not have the credibility and the longevity that a major bank or even a subsidiary of a major bank has through tough times. So when we went through COVID, we saw that all of a sudden banks like Athena could not provide the high loan to value ratio levels that mm. a standard PAYG bank could um a st- a standard PAYG bank um they couldn't provide <laughs> the they couldn't provide those higher loan to value ratio levels that a more major bank could because they did not have the risk appetite uh, or could put themselves to that potential exposure um where borrowers may default they don't have that facility because they're not that well established the other part of that too is you could be a really low risk borrower but something that may fall over from you, and this has actually happened to a client, they said, um, I'm thinking of going with Athena and I gave them the reasons as to why I didn't think that that was a good idea. Ultimately, they got declined from Athena because of their exit strategy because they were an aged borrower and we were then able to put their finance through another bank, no problems, almost for the same interest rate. So even mm. if you think you're a low-risk borrower, sometimes you may not be as low-risk, I guess, in the eyes of those types of banks. Um, and at the end of the day, if you want a relationship with the person as a broker that can be there for that ongoing maintenance for you and actually give you advice on products, you're not going to get that by applying through a computer screen. Yeah, makes sense. I know I said that would be the last question, but it just popped into my mind another curly one. Yeah. It's more of a comment, but also I want your comment on it. It is quite common that because mortgage brokers are genuine, generally free yeah. and it's a free service that people will engage in more than one uh-huh. at a time, I feel like. Yep. The, we've seen it a little bit, but where you go, oh, let's see what they can get me yeah. and let's just kind of bat them off against each other. What are your feelings towards that? Or do you think that's a good thing to do <laughs> to see if someone can get you a better rate with another bank? Yep. Um, because again, we're not paid till settlement. So what do you think? Mm. Uh, how do I answer this (laughs) Mm. (laughs) look throwing the curly ones at you today I'm going to be 100% honest they're not my client if you're engaging five brokers probably not going to work with you because why are you engaging five brokers what are the other four brokers not giving you and why are we going to be any different Um, I'm not Mm. here to ever sell my services to a client I want to work with people that generally want to work with me and I want to work with them and support them on their journeys so if you're engaging five brokers I would hope that you've had an initial phone call with those five and then decided who you want to go with and you're committing to working with that broker. Because how can you expect your broker then to really care about what you want to do if you're still playing them off against other potential providers? I don't know. That's my general thought process. But Exactly. Yeah. Like As you've said to me before, you wouldn't pay two accountants to do nope. the same job. So why is it because we're a free service you would use our time the other then, thing I'd be careful of yeah. is if, you, if you're engaging five brokers and you haven't yet cut off all those brokers but they're still providing you with loan recommendations and things and you're getting down that stage, imagine if they all applied for finance for you. There goes your credit report. Mm, Not that you'd true. get to that stage. You'd, like you'd hope you'd pull the yeah. pin before then. But I just think um, it's best to, sure, interview brokers if you want to, if you don't know who you want to go with. But once you've decided, mm. I would commit to that. For sure. 
How did you feel about those questions? They were fine. <laughs> no, they were fine. I just think um, they're a little bit I, fun. Um, I enjoy answering those kind of questions because they're the curly ones that people probably think about in the back of their mind that may not necessarily ask. So hopefully our listeners got some questions uh, answered out of that. If you didn't, feel free to send through your questions because we are always happy to answer anything. No matter how curly they are yeah. because we're always happy to answer them and we like a little bit of gossip. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of You Have My Interest. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. To find out more about how Everland can help educate and empower you to achieve your goals with finance and property, just visit everland.com.au forward slash podcast and book in a free discovery call.